Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On today's podcast, we're going to talk about culture and taking a systems approach to it, developing engagement and buy-in in your players and player development plans, discipline, and creating competition. And joining me to talk about that is J.P. Nurburn. J.P. is a coach, sports consultant, and the founder of TOC Culture Consulting, a global sports consulting business. He has over a decade of basketball experience coaching men and women in Ireland, Lithuania, and the United States at the professional, collegiate, and high school levels. And his mission is to help leaders and their teams grow through mentorship, coaching, and community. He does work with plenty of football teams and certainly understands the sport and what he can do to help coaches. So, JP, it's great to have you here on the podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time. Keith, I'm excited to connect with some football coaches. This is, this is awesome. First of all, so our coaches are aware you did put together a great resource. You wrote a book called The Culture System. Tell us a little bit about that book before we dig into some of the things here. Yeah, it's actually my second book. It's really compiles kind of the best things that we've been able to help coaches implement within their teams to build culture. However, it's not just a bunch of really good ideas or ways to build culture. It's laid out in a systematic approach. And the power of a systems approach is that it takes a variety of tools, methods, ways of doing things, and it helps to make that more streamlined or easier to implement. And so that's, that's the great challenge, right? So when, you're, when I'm working with coaches and I'm coaching coaches this last five, six years, you know, we have different ideas around how to discipline, how to set standards, how to invest in individuals, how to run your leadership. Well, how can we do this in a way that the average high school coach that's got three, four kids at their own, that they're going to take care of themselves at home as teaching classes and then running a whole program and managing staff. Like how, how can we help coaches get culture right with such limited time? And that's the power of a systems approach is it gets upstream and it's, not just one thing. It's not just one silver bullet to get the culture right. It's able to implement a variety of strategies to build the culture. And so that's what this book is. I mean, we share great stories of just a few American football teams in there and the Buffalo Bills, New England Patriots are featured in there, uh, guys like Tony Dungy. But there's also 
the average high school or college coach out there that's also, we're talking about how these, these tools have been implemented within their programs. I think the systems approach is good with anything that you're doing. Implementing a system means that you are going to have answers when something fails, right? When, when it fails, there's an answer, there's a solution. And this time of the year, we go out to all these clinics and AFCA and conventions and stuff like that, and we bring back great ideas. We, we get a glimpse at how somebody is doing things in their program, but that still doesn't give us a system. It might give us some ideas on how we can improve what we're doing, but you advocate for a systems approach, which is much different. So talk to us about that systems approach, how it works for a coach coming into a program or somebody who says, you know, we got to do, do things better. We're going to take this approach to it. Yeah, well, at the core of the system, what drives the system, and I talk about this in the book, is, is the leader. And this is, you know, my journey started, you know, I mean, I was coaching for years and it was effective fairly effective as a leader, but around 2012, I made a transition to high school down in basketball in Tennessee and I was coaching there and I was ineffective. Uh, and some of that is, you know, that's around when Gen Z or, you know, you're starting to coach the, that age group. So there were some external things that were challenges that, that made me ineffective as a leader, but really honestly, just my lack of own leadership, my own skill as a leader caught up with me. So we struggled with culture for a few years. And so the core of it is, and just like the core for me to make that change, it started with me. Like I was looking for character curriculums, leadership curriculums. I was looking for all the tools to fix my players, but it took me a while before I realized, well, first off, JP, you got to start working on yourself. Mm -hmm. And so at the core of the, the, the culture system is, is the leader and, and having a clear philosophy and clearly taking care of yourself and investing yourself and, and, and not that you have to be perfect, but just continuously working on yourself. So that's at the core of it. Outside of that, uh, the system is then a, this process where you establish the culture, you support the culture, and you enforce the culture. Okay. Now, what, first off, what do we mean by culture? Culture is measured in two ways. Uh, the way I, first off, how strongly are we connected here? How, how much do people feel like they belong? How, how much do they care for each other? What's the level of trust? And, and I always put that in my x-axis. Now, on my y-axis, I put the standards. How do we do things here? Not how we say we want to do things, but actually the behaviors day in and day out. Um, and that's kind of how we measure it. Now, what drives that? Well, that's the leadership. And we really try to implement a decentralized command where it's not just the head coaches driving it, but it comes down to the assistant coaches and then through uh, the leadership council or the captain's council. And we have a very, 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 very intentional and specific way of doing that. Um, that, you know, not, we, may, we may not have great leaders, but it's going to be a way to develop leaders through this experience uh, of giving them ownership over the program. So that's what we def how we define culture. And when it comes to establishing, so it's about how do we establish relationships? How do we establish connections? How do we establish standards here? Coach standards? And how do we get the players to be part of that? And then we looked at support. How do we support those relationships? How do we continuously invest in our people and team members throughout the year? as well as how do we support those standards when we start to see slippage? Because nobody's going to be perfect, right? There's going to be mistakes. So how can we come in there and coach individuals and help to develop, you know, their character, their work ethic, their attitude, their mistake response, their mental toughness, so they can, so they're better able to meet those standards. But the last piece is you got to be able to enforce it. 
And, and the first starts with reinforcing, reinforcing what's working through the cultural language, through proper recognition, effective recognition, but also you got to discipline the right way. You have to, there has to be accountability. And that's a huge piece of it. You know, we can talk a little about that later, but it's just making sure we're doing it in a way that is aligned with our philosophy as a leader and the long-term objectives of what we hope to achieve within these athletes' lives, which as far as just, you know, intrinsically motivated, high-character individuals is what we want leaving our program that can go on to be successful later in life. And that's, that's you know, so it's disciplining in the right way. So that's kind of a brief overview of the system. So when you're looking at that, you talked about the importance of the relationship. So when you're looking at the system, um, and I know people need to dig into the book to really get some of this, but if you could provide a great tip for this time of the year, you know, new off season starting, maybe some new guys coming into your program, maybe you have a new program, but establishing or strengthening the relationships and bonds with those players. I mean, that's, that's where everything starts, right? So there's a great story that I share in the book. It's from this Captain Mike Abershoff. He was the captain yep. of the USS Benfold around 2000. Yeah, he's been on the been on the show before. Yeah, great, great, oh, great fantastic. book. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and he he started the 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 turnaround with what he started by sitting down and and not just asking questions. And that's a rule, you know. A rule rule for leaders is listen first, speak last. But he's asking questions about their experience, what they enjoyed, what they didn't enjoy, and what they would do differently. And but he also shared about himself. You know, he he, he would take people into his office in his cabin there. Every all 300 and something Sanders, you know, in the first six weeks, and, and he would he would talk about his experiences, talk about his family. He that that was his way of being vulnerable, you know. Like people like, oh, vulnerability, like it's not just about like sharing weaknesses, it's just about showing yourself. And, and this is who I am. And so that's a you know it's a great story of a leader that started with relationships, started to see the, the his 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 players, his his sailors as people. And I think so often is who's the person behind the player? And who's, who's the individual? What, what challenges do they go home to? It's really, truly understanding that and making sure that they know that you care about them as individuals. And so those early on one-on-ones are hugely important. And one of the ways that we really get intentional on in those one-on-ones and we can actually train our skills of listening and not just telling kids, not just giving them good lectures or telling them we care about them and tell them we love them is is to practice the skills of, of active listening, empathic listening. And we do that through intentional one-on-ones that coaches that I work with track throughout the year. So we, we might have that initial onboarding one-on-one where we get to learn about them. We get to learn about their goals, what's important to them, where do they want to go, what are their obstacles. But then we start to, in the next one-on-one, we might sit down with players or an assistant coach might sit down with those player, that player. And, and after we, we start to even hopefully even document this, a lot of our coaches document what's called the player development plans, but we start to document not just those goals, but okay, so this is where you want to go. This is where you see yourself. This is where we see you, right? And this is, we'll, we'll, let's talk about what we need to do to close that gap. And so once I understand what's important to an individual, what obstacles they face, where they see themselves then I can start to coach them about how to close the gap from where they are to where they want to be. And, and, and we can do that and we can untap this powerful intrinsic motivation, which for so many coaches seems to be this, you know, this, this hidden thing, this, this, this mythical thing, but it's, that, that's how we do it is it, through these conversations. And it starts though 
with building relationships and, and those and starts with those conversations. When you're looking at that side of it and developing the relationships, uh, the obvious way in football is to have the position coaches work with their certain players. Now, I realize in high school, I mean, you might have a coach who's coaching basketball or wrestling or, you know, having to do something else then. Um, what are some of the different ways, I guess, best practices you've seen that just go beyond we're going to work with our position guys, some other ways that guys attack that, especially if during the off season their staff gets limited in numbers? Yeah, that's a, that's a great Great question. So what we do a lot of the times, and so we develop, I mentioned earlier, a leadership council. And we like to have a leadership council with a one to four, one to five ratio for all the players. So if you have 50 players on your roster, you would have 10 people potentially on that leadership council. And the reason for that is those 10 people would be broken into units. Okay. Of, of, and so you might have you know, so there's there's ten leaders, there's there's the, the four individuals that they're leading, and so now you can take whether you've got five coaches coaches on staff or you've got ten coaches on staff, you can start to actually delegate to the units. Well, you're in charge of Johnny and Billy's unit over here, okay? If you've got like five coaches, and so now that that coach is working and they're they're looking after ten people throughout the year, and it's not so much around position. And also they've got other players, these leaders that they're helping having, you know, to help check in and build relationships with these players too. And what I love about this, especially with American football teams, sorry, I'm used to saying American football because I've worked with so many European <laughs> programs that you got to get the difference between football. We call uh, it soccer. You know, <laughs> soccer, there you go. Yeah. But like it, it, the big thing I love here is that so often it can be very like, well, there's the offense, there's the defense, or there's these positions. But this helps to really connect the team beyond those position groups. It helps the other coaches to have time to relate and connect with those players. And what we see is if there are things that a position coach, a position coach is spending so much time with that athlete. And so this gives another coach in their ear that maybe they don't get as much that can reinforce some of the things that we that a position coach wants that athlete to work on, you know, stuff like that. So we really use the units as a way to kind of shake the team up and give various coaches different roles to look after, other groups of people, and use the captains or the leaders to to also support that. And, and the beautiful thing here is, I mean, we've got coaches that do these one-on-ones and they can do them once a month with all players on their team because they're able to delegate to other coaches, but also get creative. I mean, they spend time, on the, they do these on the bus trips. They do these, you know, sometimes after practices, in the mornings, during lunches, you know, like they really mix these, these one-on-ones up, but it is, it is one of the most impactful things that we've seen coaches do and well worth the investment. Yeah, there's, there's certainly the formal way of doing it. And yes, that takes time, but there's also looking for those opportunities and, you know, just having a list, being able to check off that, okay, these these are the five or ten guys I'm responsible for who are in my unit for the off season. And you know what? I see this kid and he's in the study hall that I'm a monitor of, or I see this kid at the lunch period, or this kid comes by before school sometimes. Like, you have that opportunity to engage with those guys. It might be a little bit more informal, but sometimes that's even more impactful than sitting down in what feels like a formal meeting. The, the trick here with this is formal or informal. 
and we don't want it to feel like we never want it to be this thing where the player comes in and has to sit across the desk from you. But so we don't want it to be that level of formality. But we do want, I mean, there's, there's check-ins, there's connecting, there's like, hey, come over here, let's just check, how you doing, that stuff. There's also sitting down and saying, hey, for this next 10 minutes, I'm all about you, and I'm asking questions, very intentional questions, which I really unpack in the book, to what's called a style of questioning that's called motivational interviewing, where instead of me telling you what you need to do differently, or me just, which is a fixing style, um, and instead of me following, which is just like, hey, man, how's it going? Just checking in on you. Like, I'm just like, we'll go, we'll take this conversation wherever we want it to, you want it to go. We're taking a guiding style. So we are guiding them to think about what's important, what are their obstacles, and what can they do to kind of overcome those obstacles. So for us as coaches, though, you know, like we really have seen that when coaches know, oh, hey, coaches doing another round of one-on-ones, and we send out a Google form to get players to reflect on some of the questions that we want to talk about, what we do there is going into the one-on-one, now the players have had to reflect on three, four, five questions. So they're already primed and ready to have a really effective conversation where they take ownership of their development. And that's a huge piece. That's a huge piece. We want them to really be in the driver's seat and we're in the passenger seat when it comes to their own development, their own engagement. And this is what the Chicago Cubs learned about years ago when they, when they started doing this. I think the Indians were doing it before them. I talked about the Cubs because they were the one that won the World Series. But at the end of the day, you know, they really started to invest in these player development plans. And, and the, the idea was to really put the player in the driver's seat for their development. If we talked about developing the relationship, now we're getting more into that engagement and the buy-in. We talked you know, more about the individual setting here, but now buying into the whole team concept and um, things that the team is, is working on together. Uh, how do you take that to the next step of developing that engagement and buy-in? Yeah, when it comes to the, the team as a whole, you know, um, one of the big things that we really encourage is that, you know, every coach have a few non-negotiables, right? A few standards that come from them that are really clear. Uh, what I've seen is that great leaders across all organizations have their non-negotiables. So, for instance, uh, you know, the great John Wooden basketball coach had you know, be neat and clean, no profanity, never criticize a te- teammate and be on time. You've got, you know, um, got the Mike Abershaw. His was never do anything that, you know, endangers another's life or cost taxpayers money. Pete Carroll has very similar to Wooden, you know, no whining, no complaining, compete and, you know, be early, right? So all these great leaders, you know, I've gotten to spend time with the Phoenix Suns and you know, Monty Williams. He's got his three that are posted right above his desk. They don't have a lot of standards. They don't have a lot of rules. They typically have two, three, or four, and they're often very similar. So that's, that's the starting point. But then to start to get the buy-in, it's about asking the players, hey, what does success look for like for us? Not just a goal as far as, well, we won the win the state championship or we want to win conference title or we want to win the national championship it's you know what is success you know okay maybe there's a goal but it's also if we all come together what could we achieve together and what would that experience be like and so you kind of set this north star this 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 direction you want to go and they say okay if that's the experience that we want and if that's who we want to become what do we need to do 
day in and day out? And what are some of the obstacles that we're going to face? And, and how can we build some standards? So you really empower them to set some team standards around that. And then throughout the year, you keep coming back to that. You keep, you know, you pull up different areas of your program. You say, guys, is, is, is this how we want to do things here? Is this going to lead us to the, the goals and the experience that we want? You know, and you get clarity on different aspects of your program. You're just constantly getting them to reflect and take ownership. And we call that the standard review. Sometimes it's a weekly activity for coaches where they just pick an area of their program or maybe something's, something's slipping, right? Maybe it's the first game of the year. Maybe it's the first away game. Maybe, you know, whatever. There's just some aspect of the program where we really want to be, you could use the word elite, at elite level, or we want to be excellent. And you just get the players to define what that excellence looks like and what it doesn't look like. Looking at, you mentioned before, the player development plan, and you look at the, the best teams today are really taking an approach that it's not just the physical development, that they're developing the whole player. So in the culture system, what does the player development plan look like? So coming back to that, I think it varies, but at the core, at the very top, first of all, we like it to be a one pager. And we really encourage our coaches to use digital. And we, most all the coaches I work with, theirs is a Google Doc that is then linked into a spreadsheet. So it's very easily pulled up, but the Google Doc is actually shared with the player. And sometimes, in some situations, the coach likes to share with the, with with the parent. So the parent sees, oh, hey, they, they, you know, every time they meet, they send that to the parent and then the player, and just say, hey, you know, like even a nice message to the parent, and hey, thanks for allowing me to coach your son. You know, just had a great meeting with him. We love what he's doing here and there. You know, we talked about these things here. But on this one pager, you would have the goals or aspirations, like what's important to that individual. And sometimes those things would be very sport related other times it could be academic and other times it could be life related underneath that you have your areas of growth now you could have six seven areas you could have physical technical skills you know tactical ability um you could have character stuff you could have cultural areas of growth like how they're impacting the team or how they're leading behavioral type things but we really like to say never go more than three at a time you know three or four things that you're really areas of growth because you can't get better at everything. So maybe you might have a physical and you might have some technical skills that you need, you need an individual needs to be working on. And then maybe some personal habits or disciplines around sleep or something. And, and so you have the goal or the area of growth, which is followed by what we call the implementation intention. And, and James Clear talks about that in Atomic Habits. It's a big idea of essentially when will you do something how will you do it? Where will you do it? And, and how often are you going to do it? So yeah, helping to coach athletes to get really specific, not like, okay, well, I got to get better shape. So I need to run more. No, it's like, I'm going to do some extra fitness, you know, before or after practice in the mornings at this time, you know, so the, the first is the goals or aspirations. The next is the areas of growth followed by their commitments, which are very specific implementation intentions. We'd like to get really specific in those and coach those individuals on that. And then after that is the support plan. You know, it's okay. These are your commitments. How is I, as a coach, can I support you in those things? And what that looks like, Oh, it could be, I'm going to check in with you every week on this. It could be, I can send you stuff. I might send you YouTube videos on things to work out with or, or, Hey, I'll help you with your, your, your nutrition log, you know, whatever it is. Right. So it's those type of things followed by uh, we like to encourage role, you know, 
whatever the team is, you know, are they first string? Are they second string? Are they third string? Just be really clear about where we see them right at that moment based upon, you know, their performance. Getting that clarity is really, really important because oftentimes players are confused about what their role is. You mentioned earlier that there will be slip-ups. Nobody's perfect. The guys within your program will make mistakes. So that comes to the idea of discipline. And in teams you study and what you've put together here, what are some of the best practices in terms of dealing with discipline? The way that I did it for a long time was a fear-based approach, you know, and uh, I'm a big believer we needed accountability. Uh, and for the longest time, if players didn't work hard, I'd make them run, I'd yell at them, I'd get on them, I'd scream, you know, I'd do all the, the traditional ways of doing that. And you can do that. And if your players know that you love them, they will often accept that. And for many years, that worked for me because my players knew that I loved them. However, even in the years that it was effective in the short term, it, does, it never achieved what I really wanted for the athlete long term. And what I mean for that is, you know, they're working hard because I'm getting on them and they appreciate, oh, yeah, coach cares about me, right? But we want to develop, I want to develop athletes that work hard, have a great attitude and do the right things because that's who they want to be. That's the person they are. And I want them when I'm not there, when I'm not watching or when they go on the next level, that they can work hard and have a great attitude and do all the right things without me there, without someone yelling at them, because that's reality. That's life. You know, how many of us are adults in the workplace and, you know, are people able to get, having to get on us about us and yell at us? Like, that's just not the, the current workplace. So you got to look at the long-term goals of discipline. The long-term goals of discipline is not just to get the player to do what you want them to do, which is work hard or have a good attitude. It's to build character. It's to nurture and maintain that relationship. Those are the types of things that we want. And it's to also drive intrinsic motivation. And so we can use fear-based tactics, right? But then this, essentially that will run out over the long term. So the long-term approach is definitely not permissiveness. I'll tell you that, right? And there's way too much permissiveness. There's too much uh, of, uh, there's a lot of empathy without accountability these days. You know, and, and empathy without accountability is just a short-sighted attempt to relieve suffering. I feel bad for this kid. I'm making excuses for this kid. And, and, and so I'm not going to hold him accountable. No, you have to hold him accountable. So what does that look like? And the basic thing is to move away from punishments. Punishments is I do to you. I'm doing this to the athlete, right? You don't work hard? Well, I'm going to yell at you. You don't work hard? I'm going to make you run. A consequence, a consequence is, is the approach, is the alternative to punishment. And a consequence is usually agreed upon beforehand. Hey, guys, this is, the, this is what's going to happen. If you choose to not work hard or you choose to talk back to a coach or you choose to yell at a referee or you choose to do the, one of these things here, you choose to be late, well, the consequence is this. And, and, and we like to move away from physical conditioning or, or that type of punitive stuff because what well, we want athletes to see conditioning as like something that's good for them, right? Secondly, we really want to embrace this mindset of practice is a get to, not a got to, right? Like you might've heard that before. Hey, it's a get to, not a got to. Well, we can reinforce that through what is called a logical consequence. And logical consequences are three main types. One of them is fix it, which is, hey, just do it again. You didn't work hard. Just do it again, man. The other one is a loss of privilege, right? And so we talk a lot about, hey, a player's not working hard in a drill. It's like, hey, man, step up. We'll see you in the next drill. 
you lost the opportunity to get better in this drill. And all of a sudden, we're retraining them. Other guys are going to get more reps at this. This guy just lost that opportunity. And we can do that in a way that's firm and it's demanding without it being demeaning. And when we do this, we reinforce practices that get to, the games that got to. It's not a privilege. We like to complain about entitlement. We can fight that with the way that we discipline. And it helps to tap into that intrinsic motivation for the athlete when we use these logical consequences. And I like to encourage coaches to find ways to do that in a progressive way. So before, you, before the kid loses the opportunity to practice, it's having them redo a drill or reset in a drill, right? Maybe, maybe he's redone it a couple times. All right, now just step off. As soon as you're ready to start working hard and have a good attitude, you let us know and we'll get you back in these drills. And so that's one of the, the core approaches or core tools is progressive logical consequences. In looking at tools that are a part of this, and, and you have a lot of tools that you've built into this system, uh, competitiveness, building the competitiveness in a team. Some, some teams, especially if they're young or if you're taking over a program that hasn't had success, you need to teach the guys to compete. And that can be a year-round thing. That can be in, in practice weekly. Some of my favorite practices, you know, I go to, to spring balls, have a ton of competitiveness built in. I think of an Ohio State practice I went to just sticks out in my mind how competitive those are. I mean, you have Mickey Marotti, you know, calling out winners and losers on the, on the PA system on the mic, right? Like those guys are competing every single rep and, you know, you, you see them buying into it, getting better. Everybody's looking to do their best, right? There's, there's no relaxing there. Those players are really getting after it. That's something you can do in the off season, something you can do in all kinds of different ways, but talk to us about some of those competitiveness tools that you've built. Yeah. I know you've had Sean Miska on your podcast. I've had him on there and he takes, you know, he has some unique ways of training. It was really interesting to learn about the competitive cauldron over the years through what, you know, Dean Smith initially used at North Carolina when it came to basketball, which was then adopted by Anson Dorrance, who's won 21 national championships in soccer, followed by, you know, Pete Carroll adopted that from Dorrance, and he runs a competitive cauldron at the Seattle Seahawks. And the idea behind the competitive cauldron, and every coach has different ways of training and the drills that they use and stuff, but it is to find a way to make almost every drill competitive in some way, shape, or form. And for years, I was like the loser's run, right? If you don't win, you're, you know, you're getting a line, you're run. And honestly, I felt like that ate away from practice time. Mm-hmm. And secondly, it's, it's kind of like I always wanted conditioning to be competitive, honestly. So we started flipping that. We started making conditioning competitive. And if you win, you scored points for the competitive cauldron. And we stopped doing running uh, within practice. And so what we've developed with some of the coaches that we do, and, and we got a course on how to implement this all, but the cauldron is a, it's a spreadsheet that then is fed. Yeah, it creates rankings, and you can have separate tabs for different positions and stuff like that. But you essentially want to put out there and make everything competitive in practice and then have a ranking. Now, some teams want to publicly post those rankings. Other teams choose to share those more privately. But the, the idea is everything's competitive. Uh, at a certain point. Now, there might be a what we call learning zone, and then we might be in a compete zone. So you might be teaching a new concept. You're not going to compete in that segment. But once you want guys going full game speed through something, you make it competitive. And what you end up finding is this comes back to feeding that intrinsic motivation, right? 
rather than guys just going hard just because you're telling them to go hard. They're going hard because they like to win. And that's the, th- the thing I love about when you're coaching guys. I mean, we're, we're all so naturally competitive. Even if you're not posting it, they just love the idea that coaches coaches keeping track, you know? I will put a link to some of those resources in the show notes as well. Coach, uh, Coach mentioned a course there. Coach, as we wrap things up, wanted to dig into a little bit of, you mentioned the Buffalo Bills, obviously. A lot of uh, people interested in what they're doing right now. Uh, they've been doing a great job. And, and you also said you spent some time with the Patriots. So I would love to hear just some examples of you know, how those teams really excel with a system of culture. Yeah, I started with the Patriots because I probably got more experience with them early on uh, in my work. And I was got to go out there and spend some time at their training camp in 2018 and uh, observe how they do things. And, you know, one of the things I thought was interesting was they practice, they, they practice how to practice. <laughs> they practice how to run a halftime, you know, and, and just a level of intentionality. They don't just expect individuals to know what to do or how to do it. I love the level of detail and I've gotten to spend uh, and know, you know, individuals that have spent a lot of time in an organization. And I think that just shows like the level of intentionality of setting the standards and the culture of the program. When it comes to the bills and the big thing that I, you know, I love, love Sean McDermott and what he's doing out there. Um, I think what early on, which is how he laid the foundation culturally and they've had a couple of tough breaks. I think they could have been in the Super Bowl here or there a couple of times. But, you know, what they did foundationally as a culture was they implemented a leadership council in the first few weeks of kind of getting off the ground. And I think that is, you know, was one of their foundational things is they hit some turbulence early on and they were making some big roster changes was the leadership council McDermott would meet with and he'd really get to share what was going on and have them be a part of the decision-making process and certain things. And when you bring your leadership council in on, you know, why you're making certain decisions, but also they're a part of making certain decisions, then they can go out into the locker room and they can help to maybe quiet different rumors or solve different issues before they become bigger. And I think that that is one of the most exceptional things that he's done as well as it was in that first year, uh, he really focused on building connections within players. And they used to, once a week, they would bring a player in or two, say, hey, uh, you're going to talk to the team. They didn't bring in any guest speakers. They didn't, I don't think he brought in like the John Gordons or any of those guys. He just brought in his own players and said, tell us about someone that was really important in your life and that has helped you to be where you are here today. And so guys would, you know, have two or three photos they put up. They talk about their dad or their grandfather or their mother. And oftentimes there'd be, you know, a room full of men crying, you know, and I think it was called like the crying hour at one stage. Um, but it was something that really bonded them. And so I thought those were two really impressive things. And I remember hearing those things years ago, and I'm not surprised that they're continuing to do well because he's got the culture right, you know, and that's, 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 that's where it starts. Well, you've transitioned from coaching the game to coaching coaches. And, you know, the coaches I have on this podcast always finish with uh, the same question. And and so yours is tailored to uh, the coaches. So when you look at everything you do, you mentioned some great things here today, great tools, the system, et cetera. 
But when you look at all the things you do to coach the coaches, what's the one thing you think really gives them the winning edge? Yeah, I, I think at the end of the day, it is not just practical tools. Though I think people are very, that is what's drawn people to working with me. I've been able to, you know, help coaches get very practical and beyond the principles of what we want it to look like, you know, the leadership principles and all that, but take it and put it down to a very granular level. But it is the coaching on those tools and skills is the greatest thing and it, at the core of my coaching is these weekly conversations where a coach and I sit back and we 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 reflect you know what's going what's happened the previous week you know we reflect on certain conversations we reflect on certain players and then we also look to them the week ahead and we say okay how can you be intentional and be more intentional than you've been in the past how can you apply some of these skills or tools or make sure we're on track and so I think having someone in a coach's corner that's giving, you know, helping them to apply these tools within their context, but also is that sounding board that is not tied emotionally to the situation that can be a truth teller when a coach starts to lose their way. Mm-hmm. That's a game changer. And it was a game changer for me as a coach. That's what I needed to honestly save myself from rock bottom. Well, a lot of great resources I mentioned. Uh, we would share those. So I know uh, what really piqued my interest in getting you on the show was a course on CoachTube. I'll put that one in the show notes. Tell our listeners where else they can find your resources. Yeah, I mean, you can find the book. It's on audiobook, Audible, you know, also hardback, paperback, you know, the whole stuff at, at Amazon. It's called The Culture System, A Proven Process for Creating an Extraordinary Team Culture. Also, my website, tocculture.com, tocculture.com is it's got competitive cauldron course on it. It's got the uh, playing time system course on it, as well as we're launching next next month, our the culture system online course. And then if you want to follow me on social media, I occasionally post stuff on Twitter at JP Nurbin, which is J-P-N-E-R-B-U-N. Well, Coach, I really appreciate you taking the time and sharing with us today. And uh, certainly would love to catch up and maybe dive into some other tools that you have for coaches in the future. Yeah, I'd love the opportunity because it's uh, great to share with, with, with football coaches, honestly. Great, you know, great to get guys more and more intentional about this really important aspect of them not just being successful on the scoreboard, but that's the way that they're impacting the young men that they get to coach. 